You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast, our first of the 2020 Maryland football season. Matt Levine, your host again this year with my co-host Lila Bromberg, and we're very excited to finally be back after a long six, seven months since we last recorded a weekly podcast when the Maryland men's basketball team won the Big Ten title. But here we are for the 2020 football season, and it's one that's going to be kind of unusual this year. Uh, Obviously, the coronavirus is impacting the season. It it delayed the start. At first, the Big Ten wasn't going to play. Now they will once they saw the other conferences kind of do it successfully as best as they could. And now the Big Ten will come back with the first game on Friday night, October 23rd. Maryland will kick off on Saturday night, October 24th. It's a shortened season, eight games, and it's going to be an unusual one. Yeah, it definitely is set to be a strange season. Um, You know, the Big Ten basically said that they were going to come back on September 16th. They said that they had been able to get more medical research and felt more comfortable. And it certainly seems like Maryland is coming back with the most advanced plan of any conference. I think you've definitely seen COVID really affect a lot of other conferences from what we've heard last. There haven't been any positive tests or anything that's going to be affecting Maryland going into this first game. But it is going to be something we're going to have to watch throughout the season. Um, Just to give everyone an overview, student athletes are going to have daily testing. Um, if a student does test positive, they'll be quarantining and not it, not available to return to game competition until 21 days after testing positive. Um, and there'll be a ton of tests conducted then um, within that to make sure everything is okay from, um, you know, a heart and, and cardiac perspective. Um, so we'll see how that affects things. I'm sure that it might whether to Maryland or another team uh, down the line. I think you saw Purdue's head coach got it a little bit back. But right now it seems like Maryland is on the right track, at least in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely – it seems almost inevitable that whether it's Maryland or another team in the conference, you have to assume that someone is going to get infected. Um, But I think that you mentioned it right on the nose, the way the Big Ten – sort of said they weren't going to play football. They, they postponed pretty much every other fall sport. Maybe we thought it was going to be in the spring, and that kind of gave them a little bit more time than the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC to come up with health uh, restrictions, kind of just a plan, and really hone in on how they can make this season playable and safe for every individual. So I think – you said it best. The Big Ten really does have the best plan going forward. Uh, so it's definitely going to be interesting, but they do have the correct plan and the best plan to kind of have a safe season. And this is not only going to be an unusual season because of COVID. Maryland has a very different team this year. They added 56 new players uh, over the offseason, including almost 30 that are on scholarship. Um, including 20 scholarship freshmen. And, you know, we'll go over the depth chart in a little bit, but those players are going to play a big role, filling in for some of the guys that Maryland lost and as Loxley tries to build towards the future. Matt, of the players lost, who stands out? What few players stand out to you as the biggest losses? 
I mean, if you just look at the roster from last year and this year and who left, it, you have to look at the first two guys, Anthony McFarlane and Antoine Brooks on the offensive side and defensive side. Both were drafted by the Steelers in the, the, this past April's NFL draft. So that that in itself, it's hard to replace a guy like McFarlane. It's hard to replace a guy like Brooks. Both were leaders on and off the field. Both had the skill, all Big Ten players. You name it, they both did it. Now they're gone. Who's going to step in is the question. But you also had a guy like Keandre Jones who went undrafted and is now signed to the Bengals practice squad. Um, so another guy who's an NFL talent came from Ohio State last year, had a really good year, also served as a leader in his first season as a Terp, his only season as a Terp. So just guys that led on and off the field with skill, leadership, their role, that in itself. And then just a playmaker like DJ Turner, who when the Big Ten announced they weren't going to play this year, he transferred to the University of Pittsburgh uh, into the ACC where he's now lighting it up, having one of the best seasons. It's definitely the best season of his career. Um, one of the best seasons of any receiver in the ACC so far. Um, so just a guy like that who can return kicks, can make a play. He never really panned out too well at Maryland. There's just too many receivers, and it's a deep room, especially this year. We'll get to that. But uh, just guys like that, that it, it'll be difficult to kind of replace. But the talent coming up on the young guys is impressive. I mean, and one guy you also didn't mention is Javon Leak, who is huge to miss. I mean, I think the thing with DJ Turner is just he was a slot guy and didn't really get the chance to show his explosiveness in big plays, and I think that's the reason he's really having success now. But, yeah, I mean, you're going to see, we've talked about this before, um, you're going to have a much different-looking Maryland offense with the loss of Anthony McFarland and Javon Leak. And then you have Josh Jackson opting out, who you know is probably not expected to be coming back after this. Um, and so with that, as you mentioned, Matt, we have there are a ton of new players for this Maryland team, especially a bunch of Juco players. Yeah, and one of the best Juco players last year is an offensive lineman, Johari Branch. He's listed as a starter already uh, on a depth chart. I'm not sure how Maryland will actually go through with that depth chart because um, I'm sure they'll have a little bit of some competitive advantage of listing players in different positions and whatnot and who's starting. But if he goes out there, Loxley today already said he's going to be a captain going back to Chicago. Um, he's a captain for week one, and they'll name those weekly. But I think Branch is definitely the guy out of Juco, out of all these guys, who is going to impress the most. So that's a guy on the offensive line. It's much needed. That was their weakest position last year. It wasn't even close. And that's why you see all these injuries to Maryland quarterbacks over the years. It's just they need to block, especially now. They have two solid quarterbacks that are allegedly still competing for a job. But well, no, Loxley has said they're not still competing. With, come on, Loxley has said. going to start. But yeah, but they ha- they're not still competing for a job. Loxley right. said that he knows what team knows. They're just not telling anyone yet. Right, as another competitive advantage. But that was uh, – Jake Fung said it earlier in the week that that was a serious battle at quarterback. So with guys that are that skilled at that position, you need to be able to protect them. And I think the addition of Branch on the offensive line is tremendous, uh, especially with the loss of Ellis McKinney. He graduated. Sean Christie graduated. Those are guys that were leaders. They were there for four years. They're gone now. So Branch is a guy that they can look to to step in in his first year in Maryland. 
I mean, if we're being honest, yes, they were leaders, but the fact of the matter is, like, the offensive line did not produce. Um, and I think what you see with Maryland's offensive line this year is Loxley has really made a priority to get guys who are bigger, um, who are stronger, because that's what you need to compete with the rest of the Big Ten. And so you have Jahari Branch starting there. I talked to his JUCO position coach from Independence Community College earlier this summer and just heard tremendous things about him. He's expected to have a huge impact on this team. And, you know, he's a guy who is 6'3", 330 pounds, If you look at all of Maryland's O-line now, no one is below uh, 305 pounds, right? Like that isn't something that you could say in the past. And I think that's going to play a huge role in that. Um, And then also on the offensive line, you're going to have a freshman in Emilio, sorry, not a freshman, but a Juco transfer um, in Emilio Moran. Um, He is backing up Spencer Anderson at right tackle. Another kind of big guy, 6'6", 330. And then you're going to see a huge impact of transfers and JUCO guys on the defensive line. Um, Pretty much most of that starting defensive line is going to be new guys. So at end, you're going to have Joseph Bolopatelli. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's been a struggle. (laughs) We're going to have Ami Finau at nose, and he's going to be backed up by Almos Titi. Those are both JUCO guys both at 6'2", um, at 3.30 and 3.05, so two more big bodies there. Um, you're going to have Musea Nasili Kite um, at tackle, uh, who the guys just call Mo. He's 6'2", 3.05. So on that defensive line, you're really going to see some size there that you haven't seen for Maryland before. You're going to see a lot of new guys there that you haven't seen before. Um, And it's just going to be a pretty much new look offense and defense with just having so many new players. Also on defense, you're going to have uh, Ja'Korian Bennett. It could be starting at cornerback, but it's listed as an or with Kenny Bennett. So, and then you're just going to see freshmen there. I mean, who just stands out to you so far of those Juco D guys? um, You know, we talked about Jahari Branch. Who stands out to you in terms of uh, the defensive unit? Well, I think it's... Not a Juco guy, but a transfer from NC State, Joseph Bolotapelli, uh, a guy with size, only a sophomore. Um, and they have, obviously, Tulia Tugavailoa, a sophomore transfer, also on the offensive side. But I think Loxley's ability to go get these guys and have them become immediately eligible, already going to start. And Loxley today also mentioned that he's been impressed with Loctez Rogers, also at defensive end. So it'll It'll be interesting to see kind of who gets in in there. Um, but I think Bolotopelli is the headline guy for the defensive line in terms of who's new and coming in. Right. And then in terms of freshman players, you have a decent amount listed on this depth chart as well. Um, in terms of the uh, Sam linebacker position, you're going to have Frankie Burgess as a backup there. Um, and then at cornerback, you're even going to have Deontay Banks start, or you could have freshman Tarheeb still come in there. And then, um, as we mentioned, some of those kind of trans- transfer guys. I have to say, one thing that really surprised me on this Jeff chart was seeing that uh, Ayinde Ely was listed as an or with uh, Gote on Will, because in my mind, I feel like there's no way that Ely doesn't start, right? Yeah, I think that might be another competitive advantage type thing. Um, but, I mean, even Gote was available to the media earlier this week and said that 
Ayinde Ile is a guy that he looks up to as like another coach on the team. So I, I don't really see how Gote would get the the start over Ace, but I mean he's I the mean, best Ace player left so on the defense easily. Ace was so good last year, six three two forty. Even the size is just he's gotten bigger. Um, and Gote is only five ten two twenty two, which is still really big for a five foot ten player. But I think Ace is just has the skill set. He has the leadership um, going into his junior year now. So I think he's got to be the guy that starts there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say like, oh, this is the person I think is going to be MVP of the offense or the defense at this moment, especially since we don't know who's starting at quarterback and we don't know as much about these Juco guys. But just right now, knowing what I know, I mean, I see Ace being that defensive MVP for his team. Um, you know, you're obviously going to have both Nick Cross and Antoine Richardson both play really big roles at you know, the safety position. Um, but I think Ely is just, he had such an amazing season last year. That was his first year starting. I really see him as a guy that can really establish a name for himself across college football this year. Yeah, I mean, definitely establishing himself in the conference. But uh, I think the Big Ten is going to get so much coverage this year. Uh, even teams like Maryland and Rutgers that always sit at the bottom of the Big Ten, they're going to get so much coverage just because of how long it's been since the Big Ten has played football, arguably as good of a conference as the SEC. So there is no doubt in my mind that most of these guys, or some of these guys at least, are going to get national attention this season, whereas in a normal season, they might not have. So I think he really does have a good chance to pan out and not pan out because he did last year, but even have a better season than he did last year and gain some of that respect and national attention. Right. I mean, you mentioned just having all eyes on the Big Ten and the SEC. I mean, you look across college football right now, you've had so many weird upsets in the SEC, especially in a conference like the Big 12. And it'll be interesting to see, like, is that something we can expect from Maryland this year? I think with the Big 12 and the SEC, they have not handled testing as well. So you've had that be more of a factor. But it should be interesting just to see how the weird nature of a season maybe affects standings in a way we didn't expect. I mean, what are your thoughts on that and just how weird of a season this could be in the Big Ten in terms of actual game results? Well, I think that there's, like, in the SEC, you have so many teams that are so good ranked at the top, whereas in the Big Ten, at least the Big Ten East, you have this year three teams that are in the top 15. I think Michigan's in the top 15. If not, they're in the top 20. But Ohio State's the top five team in the nation. Penn State's right there. I think they're at seven right now. And then you have Michigan, and Michigan State's not that good this year. But those three teams should beat everybody else, no problem. I think that in the SEC, in the Big 12, you have teams that are ranked so high, and you have so many teams that are so competitive with each other, and that's why you see these different wins. And obviously, South Carolina just beat Auburn. That's a crazy upset, but... Games like Georgia, Alabama, like teams like that, literally the second and third best teams in the nation playing each other week in, week out. I think that's the difference kind of the Big Ten has more top heavy where they have three or four teams every year that are, or if you count the whole conference, they probably have five or six teams that are so good, some average and the rest kind of don't really, Maryland and Rutgers don't really get too many wins every year, three to four wins every season in a normal season. So um, I think it's another season where Ohio State runs away with the Big Ten East. 
right but i don't think the i think the west is it's more of a west where you might see that happen you clearly have those top three teams but i mean wisconsin wisconsin's quarterback jack cohen a fellow long island native so i like that but he got hurt uh something with his ankle i don't know if he had ankle surgery or not but he i don't know how long he's out for so that's like that's obviously a big loss and then they lost jonathan taylor to the nfl their best running back who was one of the best running backs in the big 10 in a long time. Um, so I don't know how good Wisconsin will be. Uh, and then you have Minnesota up there too in the big 10 West, but then there's teams like Iowa Northwestern. Uh, I think Illinois will go to a little bit to the bottom, but Iowa Northwestern could creep up to the top a little bit depending on, cause they're not as top heavy, obviously as the big 10 East is. I mean, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens with Minnesota, and we'll, we'll talk about that more next week as Maryland gets ready to play them. But that's a team where it's like, are they going to be as good as last year? But in terms of looking um, at this Maryland team and what we can expect from them this season, I I think that it, it's hard to know what to expect because it's such an unusual year, but I really think that this Maryland team is headed in the right, in the right direction in terms of talent and how many years you have left with a lot of these guys you know, Loxley's really establishing that new foundation. And I think you're starting to see a really strong defensive line this year with some of the guys you brought in. And then next year, you're bringing in the best defensive line class in the country. You know, some really, really talented guys there, some of the best players in the area um, and across the country. So I think that you're really going to kind of start to see things established this year. Um, and then there's no denying the talent of both of these quarterbacks. Um, they're, they're both really good. And, and I think Talia especially is one that just is very intriguing given the insane amount of passing yards he had in high school, just given his name. Um, some He was in the Elite 11. And then you have this wide receiver talent that, you know, should be around for a little bit. We'll, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, a guy like Rakim Jarrett, a guy like Jayshon Jones um, are going to be really big to have there. Um, and then you bring back Dante Demas. So, I mean, what are your kind of thoughts on just that wide receiver core, the running backs, just what this overall offense can look like? Well, you touched on the quarterbacks a little, and I think that I want to talk about that for just a few seconds. What's so interesting about these two quarterbacks is that they're both so different in how they play. You have Lejean, who's more of a rushing guy. He does have a good arm. He's pretty accurate, but Ogavailoa is the guy that's going to throw the ball deep. Um and obviously, we have not seen him take a single snap in College Park yet, uh, assuming that he will at least on Saturday. But he's just – he's going to be an exciting guy to watch. He's going to get Maryland the national attention. He's going to get Maryland to play on ESPN and Fox and not on the Big Ten Network. Things like that, that having a guy just that impactful with his name and his skill set is so beneficial to a program like this, especially in Loxley's uh, about to start his second year. That's so beneficial. But I think it's just so interesting how different they are because you usually have guys like Kasim Hill and Terrell Pigrome who just aren't that good at throwing the football at quarterback. It's not – if you watch the game, you can see it. Even Josh Jackson, he was so good in the first two games against Howard and Syracuse, and then his vision was bad. He got banged up. Just so many different things kind of unraveled into each other. And he struggled, and he couldn't throw the ball as well. So having a guy that can throw with this skill set of a wide receiver group, I think is the important thing. So if I'm Coach Loxley, I'm starting Talia Tugavailoa. 
Yeah, you can that, throw the football. Th- that's why. I'm... What? Continue. What were you going to say? I was going to say that's who I have starting in my mind as well. I mean, we're not going to know until game day, but right. I, I, Loxley has said that he could use um, a dual system. Not a dual system. He'll have one start, and one will clearly be the starting quarterback. But in terms of um, having both guys see playing time and play a role for the team, and and you look at actually, you know, Tua Tungavailoa's brother, you know, obviously the Miami Dolphins quarterback, and the way that um, Loxley used him and Jalen Hurts when he was offensive coordinator at Alabama in 2018. That's something I'll be discussing in an article, I guess, coming out later today, since this will be published on Friday, but. I think because they have such different skill sets, you might see, um, I mean, if we're saying that we think Tolly's going to start, you might see Lance come in, you know, every now and again, if they really need a rushing play or if the pass isn't working as much, or maybe they'll do a wildcat thing. It's hard to know, but I, I think without a question, you're going to see both of them in there, even though one will obviously have the primary time. I think Locks has always emphasized using your playmakers in the best way possible and, um, I think that Lance will definitely bring something to the table um, in special occasions. Yeah, and just going off that, I think, I mean, you saw it last year when before Lance LeJean got hurt, um, he would come in and run the football, and he looked pretty good on Wildcats, just read options, things like that, that you can utilize in an offense that, I don't want to say it's going to struggle in the running back position this year. It has a lot of skill, but it's certainly not as good as Anthony McFarlane and Javon Leak, two guys in the NFL, which they were two of the better running backs for the past couple of years here. So they were playmakers. Maryland ran the football with quarterbacks that struggled to throw. Now I think it'll be a little bit more balanced. I yeah. mean, I, if, if it's not, I don't know how successful they'll be because – their wide receiver group is stacked this year. Dante Demas returning as a junior now. He had a great season last year. He has that height and speed at six foot three. Uh, he's arguably making a case to get drafted and make it to the NFL, make it to the next level. Uh, I think having being complimented by Talia Tagovailoa could help him do that with a quarterback that's going to throw the ball a little bit better than the previous years that Demas has been here. But then you have guys like Rakeem Jarrett, five-star from D.C., the D.C. Greater Raid Player of the Year last year as a senior in high school. Uh, he was the number two recruit, wide receiver recruit in the country and the number 20th overall recruit in the entire nation. He committed to LSU. Loxley somehow flipped him. I remember exactly where I was when that happened. Uh, I'm sure many Maryland fans do too because that was one of the biggest flips ever probably in the history of Maryland. Um, so a playmaker like that, and then there's so many other guys, but you have to headline Jay Sean Jones coming back from an ACL tear that he suffered last year before the season started. He had a really solid, true freshman season and now is a redshirt sophomore. So, um, I think he, he is another guy that is a playmaker. These, they just have so much skill at this position. It doesn't even end there with those three guys, but it's just so skillful, so big. I think that can really torment opposing defenses that have smaller defensive backs. Right. Dante Demon, six foot three. Jay Sean Jones, six one. Daryl Jones, six two. Brandon uh, Brian Cobbs, excuse me, is six two. Just big guys that can make plays and 
a quarterback that can throw the football to them is a, it's a recipe for some success or a little bit more success than they've had. Right. I mean, if you have that offensive line, do what they need to do. I mean, especially with a guy like Talia Tonga-Vailoa, you know, Loxley talked about how he's been seeing them make explosive plays in practice, seeing them make bigger plays. And, you know, that's something you can really see when you're running the ball, you know, your, your chance of that is a lot less. But with this wide receiver core and just the way this offense is likely going to shift, I really think that you're going to be able to have those more explosive plays spread it out down the field a bit more. Um, you mentioned Rakim Jarrett. He's a guy that everyone has, has raved about so far and just um, how talented he is. And I was actually, you know, pretty shocked to see um, him as a backup um, on the depth chart behind Brian Cobbs because uh, he seems a lot more talented than Brian Cobbs. Brian Cobbs, um, I, I think, was okay last year, but there's a lot of kind of pass deflections and some other things going on there. So, I mean, I think you're easily going to see Rakim Jarrett get to the starter at that position once he gets a game under his belt. It's definitely some talented guys there. And then, you know, you have a guy like Dino Tomlin, who is now as an or for a backup. I I think what's really interesting about a lot of these guys on this offense is just the experience they have in and around the NFL. You know, you have a guy like Talia who, you know, is extremely close with his brother and has kind of been around that NFL environment with him. You have a guy like Jayshon Jones who trained with NFL guys this summer. You had Rakim Jarrett who was throwing um, with Dwayne Haskins this summer. And Terry McLaurin, a wide receiver for the Washington football team also. Right, and then you have a guy like Dino Tomlin who's obviously been around the football team his whole life. And I just figured, and then Isaiah Jacobs too, a guy who's, you know, his brother Josh Jacobs is in the NFL. I think that's like, it's it's very unique to have something like that. And I think that is, is all because of what Loxley does. Obviously, Loxley didn't recruit some of those guys, but he has those relationships, especially with Dino Tomlin. You know, Mike Tomlin, obviously they know each other. They're both Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Steelers. Loxley knows him well. He knows the family. And then Loxley recruited and coached Tua Tugavailoa and Josh Jacobs at Alabama. Recruits and now coaches their brothers here so it's just the endless relationships that he has as a coach and that's why he gets hired he is so good at recruiting and building those relationships and it's it's gonna i think it really will pay off those guys are so skillful not just because who their brothers are but and who their father is in the coaching the nfl but they just been around the game they they have a sort of a different understanding almost to it than other guys who are just playing and Nobody else in their family is kind of around it, but they really can hone in on their skills on and off the field with coach, with their family, whatever it is. And it's kudos to Loxley for being able to recruit such talented players who are going to get to the next level eventually or just have guys that are so close to them involved in the pros. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Loxley certainly recording helped. I also think... People don't give him enough credit for what he was able to do at Alabama um, as a play caller. And um, I think that's important. And I think that skill, um, that skill as a playmaker, um, drawing up plays and and kind of the work he did with Tua, like Tolly was around that, you know? So I think that, I think that's another reason why you'll probably see him start at quarterback is because I know Loxley wants to run a similar system in terms of having more of a spread offense. And I think that'll also give Talia a really big advantage. So now we're going to get into Northwestern a little bit. 
And now we're joined by Andrew Golden, a good friend of mine who's an editor for Daily Northwestern. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thank y'all for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So before we get into specific questions, do you want to just give us kind of a brief overview of what you're expecting from Northwestern football this season? Uh, I'm expecting for a really, really good defense. Uh, that's that's kind of been the the heart and soul of their team ever since Pat Frazier has been here. Has been their defense. Um, I expect nothing less from them this year. Offensively, they have a new offensive coordinator, uh, Mike Bajaki, and we've had the same offensive coordinator since 2008. Um, so it's the first time in a while that we've had a new offensive coordinator. So it should be interesting to see how Northwestern um, fares this year and how they kind of adjust given the fact that we're, we've been in the middle of a pandemic and they've been on and off playing and not playing. So um, so I, I'm not sure what to expect from the offense, but I know that you know we're probably getting good production from the defense. Yeah, I mean, that offense and having a new offensive coordinator was something I was going to ask you about because, you know, you guys have a new quarterback in Peyton Ramsey who Maryland is very familiar with and that new offensive coordinator just – what are the things you've been hearing about um, Ramsey now that he's at Northwestern just um, about what this new offense might look like? Yeah, I mean, when, when he transferred into Northwestern, his reasoning for it was that he wanted um, to be in a system that best fit him. Um, and Bajakian's offense is an offense where you get the ball in the playmaker's hands and see what happens. Um, so, I mean, Bajakian's had a lot of success at Boston College last year, they had a really good offense, but also with the Buccaneers with Jameis Winston for a little bit. That was one of Jameis Winston's best years. Even before that at Tennessee, he had some success there too. So um, I think the goal for this offense is to get the ball in playmakers' hands. And I think Ramsey gives them the best ability to do that. Um, so I think I think they'll be pretty productive. Um, but all it comes to Ramsey not training the ball over and just being like just being a decent quarterback, like Northwestern's offensive. Uh, offense was pretty bad, especially a quarterback last year. They just need decent quarterback play, and they'll be all right. And you guys, or Northwestern, has had several several players opt out. Um, offensive lineman Rashawn Slater is one of the best players on the team, and then safety Travis Willock. Just those two guys overall. Kind of who will step up to replace them, and the few others that have opted out. And kind of what impact does it have on the Wildcats? I mean, Rashawn Slater. I mean, I think for any team, if if you're taking a potential first round pick and then like they're opting out, I think that's going to affect any team regardless. Um, but Northwestern's going to trust in Peter Skaronski, who's a freshman. He was the highest recruit um, in our in our last recruiting class in 2020. Four star guy um, out of out of Illinois, right, not too far off from here. So um, he's expected to to carry on a lot of, of weight for Northwestern and a lot of the expectations at left tackle. I mean, they're trusting him to kind of protect Peyton Ramsey's blind side. So um, there's a lot of faith in him. And then when it comes to the secondary, um, Travis Willock um, was a great tandem with J.R. Pace. Um, in the secondary, without him, they're going to have to rely on Brandon Joseph, who's a retro freshman. Um, they chose him over Bryce Jackson, um, who some people might have expected to start, considering that he's had some experience playing uh, over the past couple of years and kind of like nickel and dime situations where like he's been expected to play cornerback against um, a slot receiver or sometimes play as a, as a linebacker. So um, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how Brandon Joseph fares and how Pierce Skoronsky Fairs are the only two freshmen who are starting. Um, what, I mean, Brandon Joseph is a redshirt freshman, and um, Pierce Skaronski is a true freshman, but regardless, the only two freshmen to be starting on the whole um, depth chart on both sides. So it should be interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting the point that the place where both Maryland and Northwestern's offensive lines are at, you guys have lost your best player there. Maryland's offensive line is now like all these Juco guys, essentially kind of a new look, new look as well. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how that both plays out with the defense and I guess like for you what are you kind of thinking for this weekend and just for um, kind of a season as a whole for Northwestern of what their you know potential can be 
I think you know, we, we usually do season predictions here uh, or at, at the daily, um, the daily Northwestern. Where I work like as a game day editor, and I have them at six and two. I think that ultimately, like last year was kind of a fluke. I mean, three and nine is not um, is not by any means what. Northwestern expected. I think this year their defense is going to carry them. They're playing again, like the first two games this week against Maryland, next week against Iowa. They're playing some inexperienced quarterbacks. And I think having a veteran defense like that is going to carry them moving forward. I think the defense is going to carry them a lot of the way. Um, if, if the offense can put up a good amount of points, and like it, it might have to be anything crazy, as long as they don't turn the ball over and put the defense in good position to, to be successful. I think Northwestern can really win six games. Um, I think they'll lose to Wisconsin. I think they'll lose to Minnesota because those are like the two best teams in the West. I think like kind of for, by by most people's standards. Um, but after that, I think Northwestern could find themselves right in the mix. I'm shocked you said that. From what you've told me earlier this summer, I'm shocked you think six wins. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I kind of changed my mind on them. I don't know. I I think that they'll be decent enough to to at least at least get five. But I think they'll get six. So you see Northwestern winning this weekend. Yeah, I th- I think so. I th- I think um, I think ultimately the experienced defense versus an inexperienced quarterback. I'm not sure if it's going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be tackled by Lowe, but you know, like you know, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens come game day. We, we love the aura and the depth chart. That's always a fascinating one. But yeah, Loxley um, uh, said today he said it was going to be Lance Tungavailoa. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I mean, maybe we'll see both. But regardless, like it's always kind of weird having two quarterbacks at the same time, especially when they're inexperienced and like trying to get into the momentum of that. I think the defense will kind of adjust for both. And I see, I see Northwestern pulling it out, but I think it'll be a close game. Yeah, I have you to – oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. Oh, you mentioned a little bit before, um, just overall kind of who are some of the players to watch, whether it's on offense, defense, special teams, overall as a team coming into not only this weekend, but as a whole on the season. On the offensive side, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely got to be Isaiah Bowser. He was their their workhorse running back when they went to the Big Ten Championship a couple years ago, and then he was hurt last season. Um, so I would expect for Bajaki to get the ball into his hands. I mean, he's a really dynamic running back. It's kind of like a, kind of like a one cut back, um, but he's he's still always been really solid, especially especially his uh, freshman season. Um, defensively, it's got to be their linebackers, their their trio of Blake Gallagher, Patty Fisher, and Chris Bergen. It's their third year playing. Third year playing together, all three of them, um, and they're all really, really talented. So I would, I would expect a lot from them to kind of anchor that whole defense. Special teams, I mean, is is Riley Lee's. Riley Lee's is their punt returner, their kick returner. So um, he's always been pretty solid. He's never broke one for a touchdown or anything, but he's always, you know, been pretty solid. Uh, doesn't turn the ball over. Doesn't muff punts or anything like that. So um, Riley Lee's would be the big guy on special teams. It should definitely be interesting to see who's gonna win this week win the season, you know, both coming off, like you guys had one win in conference play too, right? Or was yep. it? Okay. Yeah. One, one win, one win in conference play. I want to say, I forget who it was against, but we, I think we have, we definitely have one. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. What are your initial thoughts just after what he said, Matt? Well, I think the, the main thing for Maryland going in uh, into week one is Number one, they're playing a quarterback that they're familiar with, a transfer from Indiana. But it's a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator for Northwestern. Um, so right then and there, they're going to have to attack them and try to score a lot because we don't know how Northwestern will come out offensively with a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator. Um, but I think the main thing is the loss of their offensive lineman, Rashawn Slater, who is – easily the best player on that team. He's going to be a first round pick. He opted out. 
Uh, I'm assuming it's kind of the same thing that Micah Parsons did at Penn State, also going to be a first-round pick. Um, with a season of so many unknowns, you just decide not to play. You're still on scholarship. Everybody respects your decision, and you're not going to get hurt. You're still going to be a first-round pick, and you're going to make that money. At the end of the day, I'm sure that's in the back of their head a little bit, but um, he's so impactful. Slater's so impactful to their team. Also, their safety, Travis Willock, opted out. He had 78 tackles last year, uh, two fumble recoveries, so he's a guy that can make plays defensively. So that's a spot where Maryland can attack. Their wide receiver is going up against safeties that aren't Travis Willock or sort of defensive backs that aren't their best players on the team. So, again, uh, the size that I was mentioning earlier of Maryland's wide receivers, that's going to come into play here. Northwestern's defensive backs aren't too big. A lot of them are 5'10", 5'11", maybe even a little bit shorter. So that's a job that Tugavailoa or Lejean is going to have to do, throwing up the ball to 6'3", Dante Dimas, or any other receiver that can just get up there and catch it over somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just with uh, the kind of linebacker core you have with at Northwestern that Andrew mentioned, I mean, it's going to serve them better to pass the ball than to run it in this case. It's just a matter of can the O-line give the quarterback enough time to get those deep throws out to, to make those plays. I think that's really what this game is going to come down to. I was kind of shocked to see Andrew say six and two. I, I don't really see that in the cards at all for Northwestern, if I'm being completely honest. I think that this is a game that Maryland can win. I do see it being close, but I think the spread of it being minus 11 is a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, 11 and a half or 11, whatever it is now, it's, it's a lot in my opinion. Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I think that's just too much to have of a spread going into a week one of a season. With, again, a new quarterback for both teams, pretty much. Obviously, Lejean isn't new, but he didn't start in his career yet. So, it's it's just so many unknowns. A young team for Maryland. Um, Northwestern just has new personnel on the coaching staff and their team. I think it's a lot. Uh, we'll give our predictions at the end, but just kind of overall, who are three, four, five players that, however many you want to name, that can really be impactful for Maryland this season? I mean, one is obviously going to be the quarterback in my mind. I think that's going to be Talia. We'll find out on Saturday who that is. Um, but I, I think that's a guy that can really be impactful for Maryland. Also on the offensive side of the ball, I think Jahari Branch is going to make a huge, huge difference on the offensive line. I've just heard tremendous things about him. He brings a lot of good size. And, you know, that's a group that really needs some leadership, brings some help. I mean, he's a guy that um, he was at the Division One level. Um, and I believe it was FCS, and he actually, like, decided to go down to Juco, which is not something people do. You know, he decided to do that because he wanted to be able to get a Power 5 offer. He wanted to improve himself, and um, from everything I heard, he's just a tremendous worker, a really, really good player and leader for them. Um, I think on the wide, in terms of wide receivers, I think you're going to see a really exciting seasons from, bo- from both Jayshon Jones and Kim Jarrett. You have a guy like Rakim Jarrett who is ready to prove himself on that college stage, a five-star recruit. Jayshon Jones is back from injury and and looking to show that he can do um, what he did in his freshman season and more. 
And then in terms of a defensive side of a ball, some players I'm watching are, um, like I said, Ace Ely. I think he's a really, really impactful player there. I'm interested to see what Ruben Hippolyte the second does if he gets any time there at that mic position. He's currently listed as an or for a backup. Um, and then I see, think you're going to see a big impact from both Nick Cross and Antoine Richardson at the safety position. Yeah, I mean, you said it best. The only guy I would mention there that you didn't is Jake Funk coming back from now two ACL tears. Um, so he's got a big chip on his shoulder. And he's him and Antoine Richardson are the two longest tenured Terps on this roster. So uh, another leadership role that he's going to jump right into as the lead running back. But you mentioned that secondary with Nick Cross, who was a stud as a freshman. Uh, DeMatha product came into Maryland, really, really came on the scene as one of their best defenders last year um, and was a 2019 honorable mention for all Big Ten honoree. And I think that this year he'll move up to that all Big Ten award, not an honorable mention. Um, I don't know if he'll be first team all Big Ten. That's a little bit of a stretch, but he'll improve again. And I think that's a guy that eventually goes to the NFL. And Antoine Richardson, you said, was hurt last year, but he was always on the sideline next to the coaching staff with a headset on, involved in something in the game. Yeah, he was and a I think that coach. speaks volumes to the kind of person and leader that he is. Um, you don't really see too many guys that get hurt and are just so involved like him and Funk really were last year. So two guys that are their oldest players, they've been here since I think the middle of 2016. And now it's their time in their redshirt senior year to kind of lead on the offensive and defensive side and try to make something out of themselves and the team. So I think those two guys really have a chip on their shoulder and will look to improve or just kind of prove them, not even improve, just prove themselves now at this point with the injuries that they've had. Right, so those are definitely going to be some key players to watch on Saturday. Okay, Matt, as we wrap up here, what are your predictions for uh, both what we can expect in terms of a record for Maryland this year? Uh, and you can kind of explain your reasoning for that, as well as what you're thinking for this weekend. So I'll just read the schedule quickly. There's no bye week, so just one through eight. It's at Northwestern, home against Minnesota, at Penn State, home against Ohio State, home against Michigan State, at Indiana, at Michigan, home against Rutgers. And then the Big Ten Championship week is their ninth game. That will either be home or away, depending on a lot of things, obviously, who they're going to play, the tiebreaker, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of record, I think three and five. I don't know who they're going to play in the last game, so I'm not going to say. But I think three and five is reasonable for a team in Loxley's second year that has so much skill, more than, I mean, I think promising skill, young talent that will eventually make a really good team, especially with next year's recruiting class. But they're not looking into next year yet. They're looking at this year. I think week one, they have, they're underdogs, but they're coming in hot and they're 10-0 and in their last 10 season openers. Obviously, a lot of those are against a team like Howard, but they played Navy. They played Texas twice. They won all, They won 10 straight games in the first week. This is a Big Ten opponent, week one, but they've had success, and they want to prove themselves right away. I think they beat Northwestern. Um, so that's one of their wins. I think Minnesota's too good this year again. 
They have a great coach. They have a first-round pick in uh, Rashad Bateman at wide receiver. And there's no chance they beat Penn State or Ohio State just because of how good those teams are, we know. Penn State came in here last year, 59-zip. I don't even remember the score of what the game was at Ohio State. But the last time Ohio State did visit here, obviously the teams were so different with Haskins at quarterback and Pigram at quarterback. But that game went into overtime and Maryland lost by one. So that could be in the back of their heads uh, for Ohio State to come back in They're here. They're not beating Ohio State. That's the best human conference. They, I don't think they will. <laughs> I think Ohio State's even better now than they were then. But that's something that could be in the back of their heads. Like, oh, last time they were here, we were close. Let's try and get it. Um, but I think their second win will come against Michigan State or Indiana. Uh, I think they swap with one of them they're going to beat one of those teams they're going to lose the other i would assume they have a better chance of beating michigan state that's a home game and michigan state's going to struggle this year um and then they're going to lose to michigan on the road michigan's really good this year again that's going to be very cold during that game december 5th in ann arbor michigan in ann arbor and then they close out the season shockingly with their easiest opponent in Rutgers, who they will definitely beat and then they'll be three and five. But usually Maryland's closing out the season with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan in some order of those four teams. And now they kind of break that up a little bit and get to end the season. If for their sake, hopefully on a high note against Rutgers and then going to whoever they play from the Big Ten West. So I'll go three and five going into that quote-unquote postseason game. So I think that three and five could happen, but if I'm being honest, I think this team has the potential to win four games, maybe even five, but that would kind of shock me. It definitely has potential, but I'm settling for the three and five. All right, well, I'm going to say four and four. Um, I see them winning at Northwestern. Um, And then, like, I think that the game between either Minnesota or Indiana, I think they can win one of those. I don't know which. I don't know if I completely believe the hype still around Minnesota. Like, I don't know if that season was a fluke. I don't know... Um, how good they're going to be again. Um, But I think of those two, they're more likely to be Indiana. But I guess we'll see there. As we've said, there are a lot of unknowns for this Maryland team, and they they could be really good. I mean, like you said, we're not at a point where we're going to be competing for a championship. I think you and I can both see they're on that path, just with the talent they're going to be adding, the foundation that they're building. Um, and, and just kind of a culture that locks is continuing the build. But I do see them winning one of those. So, And then, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, like you said, they're not going to win those. I see them definitely beating Michigan State. That's a team with a first-year head coach. They lost a ton of talent. They've had a ton of players opt out. And then lose to Michigan, win at Rutgers. So, you know, I see them going 4-4. Four and four. They could maybe go 5-3, and three, but I think 4-4 four and four is a bit more realistic this year. I think four and four could happen as well. And I'm so excited that football is finally back. I hope it's here to stay. We have a chance to cover this team again. Something we thought probably wasn't going to happen uh, back over the summer in August. So I'm thankful to be back. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And we'll have all the coverage from this weekend's game against Northwestern. And then previews of Minnesota and throughout the rest of the season. So we thank you guys for joining us and hope to be back soon. Yeah, thank you guys for joining us and uh, we look forward to talking with you all next week.